HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because, to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Firesider, a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit firesider.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday at uh, roughly what? Roughly like what? Like 12? Well, yeah, we're going. Like 12 to 12.45, 1 o'clock, Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Call in all of your questions today, by the way. Mead-related questions. We have a special mead presentation and dump meal-related presentation. Call in all of your questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Uh, joined uh, as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing? Good. Yeah. How's your week been? Good. Fine. Yeah. So a little later on, your sister. You wanted to tell your sister. Like, My sister's calling in at twelve thirty. She says she and but so Nastasia. For those of you that are regular listeners to the program, uh, I bought her for her birthday a crock pot and a copy of Dump Meals. That's right. Mm-hmm. Dump. Dump meals and uh, and so Nastasia can't. She's like she after she's like you know what Dave I just can't be bothered. No, my sister has a normal size, a nice normal size kitchen. I only have. I one. bought you a miniature crock know, pot, but my coffee machine. I only have one surface for anything. Uh, so anyway, you can make coffee in a crock pot, but I wouldn't recommend it. Oh, weird. Anyway, and I wouldn't recommend. It. So anyway, so go ahead. Anyway, so she's been making dump meals for the past four days. So she, like like breakfast and dinner. She'll get. She'll talk about. Natalina. Right, we'll say Natty. Natty mm-hmm. uh, Lopez is uh, the cooking issues dump meal correspondent. 
So she's going to be calling. Now, Nastasia, you said that uh, that your sister doesn't necessarily have any sort of. She's not in the food business. No, and she's twenty two. Yeah, but my point. My so point. She's been eating cafeteria food. By the way, she's got a boyfriend. You freak shows out there. Got a boyfriend. But she's been eating cafeteria food. You say, say your age. It's like you know. What? It's no, like, I'm saying she's so young. Like yeah. she's only been she's only been out of college for a month. Anyways, point being, she has no knowledge. Right. But I'm not going to, like, hopefully she's not listening to this and, like, I get... I d- highly doubt she's Good, good. Even though she's going to call in? She's at work. Oh. What, what is she working? Uh, Hearst. Oh, so we're going to get her fired from her first job out of college by having her call in and talk about dump meals? <laughs> sweet, sweet. Joined in the booth with, uh, remember, we're going with Dave Id as opposed to me. Dave, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Doing all right. You have a good week? Very good week. Excited for some mead talk. Oh, yeah. Mead talk. So our special guest for today... Uh, Who is that? What? Who is that? What? Oh, yeah. The, it's right there. Oh, uh, the, the engineer, yeah. <laughs> okay. Dave's over there, yeah. We met. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so our special guest today is uh, Raphael from Enlightenment uh, Wines. Now, Enlightenment Wines, say, say hello. Hi. Hey. So uh, Enlightenment Wines, uh, why don't you tell a little bit about it? It's actually, you have a tasting room here in Bushwick, but uh, that's not where the actual production happens, right? Um, well, it will. Uh, I've been making the meads upstate for the last mm, almost 10 years. And uh, now we just opened a production space out uh, off the Jefferson L. So we have a tasting room, and we have a beautiful uh, facility for making wine. Right now, I did not know this because I'm stupid. The technical term for a like a mead maker is ma- a mazer. Mazer. So you yeah. are a mazer. Right. It's 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 helpful that, that way you don't have to tell people you make wine because when you say that they think of grape wine, and that's not really what I do. So and also it's it's um. You know, when you're a mead maker, you're also an herbalist, you're also a forager. You, you, there's a lot to it that's not just in the production space. Uh, in the same way that like a winemaker often grows the grapes, but, you know, they're not necessarily thought of as farmers. Uh, so a mead maker has a similar kind of uh, broader uh, activity. You ever have this happen to you? you haven't, I mean, you make mead, so you are a mazer. So mm-hmm. therefore, uh, by the way, uh, Twitter handle is uh, NYMazer, at NYMazer, right? Or your... Right, which, by the way, uh, I've used about once, and I think it was to contact you. Oh, no. well, start, start <laughs> using it, buddy, you know, especially now. Yeah, you have that, to teach you know. me how to use it. It seems very popular. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm not necessarily the best at it. We've got to find, like, who's a Twitter maniac, Nastasia? You're Nobody not. Nobody we know. Yeah, Nobody we're like social media dunces. Anyway, the, uh, the point being that... Uh, this is what happened to me for the past month, mm-hmm. right? So you read all these articles from roughly – correct me if I'm wrong – roughly like four, three to four years ago. So you're looking at like uh, between 2012 and 2014, everyone says the mead's coming, the mead's coming. Mm-hmm. You have an occasional bottle of mead usually by one of the larger producers in some of the wine stores. And then when I finally get around to saying, okay – now, the mead that I had when I was, uh, uh, you know, young in my 20s was mm, garbage, garbage, bad. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, in, in my opinion, I mean, maybe it's the way they wanted it. Maybe they wanted it to taste like it had all sorts of other weird fermentations going on in it and oxidized and messed up and, like, does not right and, like, not fermented out. And I think people were going for too much alcohol. But anyway, the me, my mead experiences have not been the best. And... Like, a couple of months ago, I was like, this is ridiculous. It's one of the oldest beverages known, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. People drank it and drink it for since time, literally since time immemorial, right? right? And also by pretty much every human culture on Earth, right? Yeah, yeah anyone that had access to, to, to honey. honey. Yeah. yeah, they figured out some way to make mead. So, it. yeah. it's the, the, the short answer is it's got to be good. 
That's the, it has to like there's literally there's no way that it can't be good. Something with that kind of a history to it. That it's just the ones that I've had recently are bad. And then. Uh, you know, I ran into the problem over the past couple of months that now I think a lot of wine stores that maybe started carrying because I went to some of the places that were on some of those articles from from the meat explosion of a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and a lot of them just aren't carrying anymore. So you want to talk about the current state of meat and like trying to get it carried in wine stores and price points and problems and yeah, there's I mean there's a lot to talk about. I think, uh, well, I mean part of part of the Enlightenment Wines project is that it, it's largely self-taught. Meaning that, um, you know, I wasn't, uh, I didn't apprentice at a winery or I didn't grow up as a, a craft brewer or anything like that and then decide to make mead. And that's partially because I wanted to start from scratch and, and really with very few tools, right? So I did it without electricity practically for five or six years, partially to get back to understanding how it was really made initially. And now, you know, whatever, I started making this stuff in 2000, right? So I've been doing it for a while. Now that I look back and I see the um, the growth of mead and and who's making it and why uh, it's not always been made properly, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, part of the problem is, first of all, you got to think about people with the resources to make it, right? So they're typically brewers, right? So uh, when you make mead, there's um, you know the equipment involved, right? If you, if you come at it with a brewing mentality, you've there's a bad side to it, which is that. Um, it's sterile, you're heating things, you're filtering them, you're doing all this very, you know, brewing is basically pretty high tech uh, compared to winemaking. That's bad. It's good because brewers are used to sort of mixing things together and making alcohol out of it. But uh, that first part of the process, uh, especially brewers who are used to, uh, from the last 10 years of trying to make increasingly alcoholic beers, increasingly hopped beers, right? That's the American way. Right. So you end up with a very high alcohol wine, which is uh, typically sweet, pretty undrinkable. On the other hand, the people with the real resources and the knowledge base to make good mead, which are natural winemakers, right, which are people who are used to barrels, this stuff isn't sterile, it's very low-tech, it takes a long time, all that kind of stuff, um, and are used to the fact that every year is going to be different, that there's vintages, they're not trying to produce a Campbell soup can, right? That In that world, in the mentality of the natural winemakers, a lot of the things that are fundamental to making mead, which is uh, adding herbs, adding fruits, mixing things together, uh, ad- specifically adjusting the sugar at the beginning, right? You know, you can decide how much honey you want to start with at the end of the day. You mix water and you can dilute it, right? Those things are anathema to natural winemakers. So the, for them, and I'm speaking very generally here, it's a big leap to get into winemaking. So what that's done is left a real hole for uh, for for the meat industry to have someone sort of step in who's using natural winemaking practices but applying it to honey wine and kind of fruit wines, you know. And you could say the same thing about fruit wines also. I mean, if you go upstate, there's lots of wineries that'll sell you a, you know, like a dandelion wine, which is like a sugar wine where they wave dandelions over it, I think, or something, and you can't taste anything, or like a really sweet, like, cranberry wine. And There's nothing actually fermentable in dandelions anyway, really. It's just a flavor or color thing, right? I mean, you have to add right. the sugar from something else anywho, right? Right, exactly. So here, here's, a, here's our dandelion Oh, wine. I've always wanted to have a good dandelion wine. I told the story, I think, a couple weeks, I don't know, months ago. My grandpa made a dandelion wine. He was really proud of it, and I was really young and such a dick that I was like, dandelion wine is like 
we, it's some sort of like weird hick Pennsylvania thing you're making me. And, and, I, you're, and, and you'd be right, actually, because dandelion wines is, is what's actually considered like a country wine, right? A farmer's wine. So the, the history of the dandelion wine is really amazing. Uh, and if you look into it, it's really, you're going to find this in herbalism books, right? So like most alcohol made for the you know, first half of humanity, it wasn't really to get you drunk. It was to preserve plants. It was to preserve medicinal qualities of plants. So uh, New England farmers, for example, when they come to New England, right, and they're trying to grow stuff, and, you know, they're, for the most part, don't know what they're doing, and, and they don't have any citrus, and they all have scurvy. Everyone in New England has scurvy for like 100 years between, you know, January and June, pretty much, right? Is that, you, is that true? Is that actually true? Yeah, because if, you're, if, you're, if you do subsistence agriculture what, and you don't have access to, and you're not making sauerkraut, right? Which many of them, like if they weren't German, if they're English or something, they're not making sauerkraut. There's just so little vitamin C in the system that, you know, they're eating like grass and stuff in the spring. And so if you have a dandelion wine, which dandelions are incredibly packed with uh, iron and vitamin C and all these kind of things, and it's preserved, the tradition of dandelion wine is that in the early spring, kind of right when you start seeing the dandelions, you take a shot of it after lunch or something. It's a tonic. It's not something you'd like sit around with a snifter. It's a tonic. It's really medicine. So, uh, and it had all these cure-all qualities for it, but, you know, really if you look at it, it it's probably just simply that there, it's like, you know, when you have low levels of scurvy, you start having like, you know, it's vitamin C deficiency. You have like, you get sick, you get colds and stuff. Scurvy, uh, like, but like advanced scurvy, Stas, you would like it oh, because yeah. it's like, uh, it destroys the, uh, the connective tissues of your body. So your teeth fall out, your old wounds you get yellow. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like a tan, but it's the wrong awesome. color. Sweet. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it's you, good business. You can try some of it. I would love to. Um, uh, by the way, what's, what's the, what now, is this a mead base with dandelion in it or this, you know, I usually end with this, but because it's the most bitter, um, it's the most complicated. Like Nastasia. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's, um, we, can, we can start, you can start with this. This is an aperitif. Now, to make this, you have to actually pick a shitload of flowers, right? You can't cheat. So, um, you know, and you have about a week to do it in, right? So the bloom for dandelions is tiny. Like, they kind of grow all year, but they're really only around for, like, a week in a big amount that makes it efficient. So is the acidity from it strictly because you let a little acetic stuff happen to it, or is it... Yeah, I mean, you know, honey wine, you have... Like, people think that mead is going to be like a single honey mead, right? I like it. Oh, thank you. Um, it's, makes, it's a great uh, spritz. Uh, they use it at PDT for uh, one or two of their drinks. Oh, those weasels. They're always on top of everything. What's the <laughs> bottle price on this? Weasels! They're weasels! Uh, you, Who do you, you distribute whole, wholesale? I don't. You have to get it from us. Oh, so they're doing it illegally. No, no, no. We have a license. Oh, we have a license to yeah. distribute? Yeah, I'm a farm winery, so I can sell oh, you a bottle right here. Oh, really? Yeah. That's strength. strength. Uh, actually, one of the brilliant things about our tasting room is that because we're the first people in New York really to really, I think, take advantage of this. So we've got a farm winery license. So in exchange for the restriction of using New York State ingredients, we are allowed the privilege of be, of opening a bar next door, a full, full liquor bar. You know, we can have whatever we want. We can serve whatever we want. But you can go there, you can have a drink, and if you want, you can buy our bottles right out, right to go. So you can, like, have a glass of mead, you can go out, 
you can you can have a glass of beer for that matter, or any number of the cocktails that we make with this stuff. But the nice thing is you can buy the bottles right there and go home with them. So now, what's the what's the the, the liquid base? What's the sugar? It's honey. Okay, right. So I can feel some of that that floral hit. But you're going like, to smell the honey more than you're going to taste it. How did you get the How did you get the the acid? Is it just from letting it like a multi floral thing happen? Right. Well, so for so in typically in a, in a dandelion wine, you'd actually use a lemon juice. Um, so you know in in general, the honey wines, uh, what I was going to say was that, like, it's actually very hard to make a mead just from the honey in the water. Uh, it doesn't have the tannins. It doesn't have the acids, right? It doesn't have the structure. Also, it doesn't ferment very well, right? Doesn't it stick? Well, if you start with a really heavy ABV and you're trying to make 20%, yeah, you're going to have a hard time. But I don't typically have that. But it's, if you, again, if you're using processed honey, which I don't, uh, there's almost no nutrients in it. So, uh, you know, I'm using unfiltered, like, raw honey. It's got pollen in it. It's got bee parts in it. But you, Actually, don't, you don't, like, dump urea in like beer makers do, right? Or, no, no. But sometimes... is that what that stuff is? Yeast, uh, yeast food? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of... I mean, that's a whole other... Like, yeast nutrients is a whole other yeah. thing. But... Um, you know, typically you either need to bring a, a fruit into it to bring the acid and the tannins, or you're going to bring some kind of herbs in it to bring the tannins up. Uh, the traditional recipe for dandelion wine requires the lemon, lemon juice, um, which I'm not allowed to use until we can start figuring out how to get the lemons out of out of the greenhouse. You right? need an orangery, my friend. Right, exactly. So there is. I discovered in uh, the park in the cemetery there is a New England Nick like uh, orange. That will go through the winter. It's this tiny little. Uh, it's called a trifolate orange. Yeah, yeah. And uh, those grow here. They do. They're used as rootstock for other things. Yeah. Sometimes they grow out, and you can see them. They're like nasty, full thorns. It's like full thorns in these little tiny golf ball sized oranges that have no juice. But there's that. There's acid in there. We're working with that. I can use sumac. Sumac's delicious, but very highly colored. Yeah, kind of take away the dandelion. I mean, I love sumac. I use sumac all the time. Yeah. And it's easy as hell to forage right. in uh, New York. Yeah, so this has sumac in it. We can try that one next. I love sumac. Um, There's something about sumac that's just so pleasing. Uh, have you had to pick it and take all the hairs off? Yes. <laughs> oh, well, you, I don't take the hair. I'm typically making, like, uh, like uh, sodas and cocktails, so I don't ever – it doesn't sit a long time, so I just I just do basically a quick boil, steep, strain, spin off but and get don't it totally you, clear. How do you avoid – I've had a lot of trouble with sumac enough that, like, we had a fight this summer and we're not, we're not hanging out this year because it was just – I was, like, killing myself because it – I couldn't get the – okay, so I would like multiple wash, rewash the same thing over and over again. And then – but if I cooked it, I would get this sort of green vegetal flavor, which I didn't like. Yeah, you have to rip out the centers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like unbelievably time First of all, yeah, people, right? have you ever never picked – first of all, the reason sumac's not popular, it's incredibly delicious. It's because people are dumb and they – they're not – you're not dumb. I'm not calling you dumb. But like people associate sumac with poison sumac, right? And yep. Like staghorn sumac, which is the one that I have growing near me, and there's a couple other different kinds of uh, varieties. Well, and also it's super variable, right? So flavor-wise, yeah. So when I forage for it, I have to go bush to bush and taste them, and sometimes they don't taste like anything. I found some stuff out in Montauk that had so much acid on it; they were wet from the humidity and white, like white, like cream on them, but hairy. There's- no, it was like. They were literally citric acid crystals on the outside. I mean, it was like kind of like a marijuana, like wet dream, but it wasn't of pot. sumac. Of yeah. sumac, yeah. 
So sumac, when you harvest it, there's some smoother ones, some hairier ones. But when you, the thing is, it looks nice and friendly and pretty. But when you start picking it apart, you get this weird greasy feeling on your hands. That I don't know what that's from. And then inside is all this yeah. like nasty business, right? Which could have bu- like if bugs, whatever, and then the little seedy yeah. things. Not could have, does have. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean it's 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 great if you want to make a cocktail, you want to make a punch. For me, the you know. When you talk about foraging something, you're talking about, like, can I get 50 gallons of right. it yeah. or not? You know, and so part of... Uh, but it's very strong. It's very strong acid. In other words, you can make a good amount with... Let's say you were to get, like, a laundry bag full of stuff, which is a pain in the ass. I'm not going to sure. say it's Did not. Did it. Yeah, you know laundry I mean? bag. Like, Done the, did the laundry bag. But yeah. that's a that's a quite a bit of sumac as an adjunct, yeah. not as yeah. a... Yeah. So this is what I used it for this year. I'm going to go back to hibiscus for it. Um, because I like it's a little richer of an acid, and uh, I did a I did a three flavor uh, soda once that was all red. It was rose hip, all you call New York uh, rose hip uh, hibiscus and sumac. But I just can't give up sumac because I just love it so much. Ooh, listen to that! That's Nastasia's favorite noise in the whole world. Uh, <laughs> this is called. Uh, this is the night eyes. Uh, this is we blew th- when we op- we opened about a week ago. And oh, congratulations. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and uh, we just blew through this stuff because we started selling it by the bottle, and people just hang out with it, and it's just Getting gone. all crunked out with it's it? It's gone. So what's the ABV on this sucker? Uh, like 12. So, so you're starting with, uh, let me see if I can do my calculations, somewhere around 20 breaks or something like that? For, I don't know. Here's a, it's, I have a funny story. So I don't use bricks. Um, I, use, I use a hydrometer, and... I probably should use a bricks, but it's kind of like when I was a kid. Like my dad went out and bought us all like uh, hockey sticks for because we had a frozen pond, and I didn't know anything about hockey, so we just all got the other sticks. What he didn't know is he bought the whole family left-handed sticks. <laughs> so I learned left-handed, and that's just how I play hockey now. If I play hockey, so I use a hydrometer for this. If uh, you don't know what a hydrometer is, you should. It's kind of this miracle tool. So like, it measures the density of a liquid. Uh, I mean, it looks like a thermometer, and it has a as the liquid is more thin, it sort of sinks, and then as it becomes more thick because of the sugar, it goes up. It costs about $7. The next best tool you can use to measure, like, the alcohol or sugar content in your uh, liquid costs, like, $5,000, right? There's, like, really literally nothing in between that is useful at all. So I, I'm a huge fan of these kind of um, these very simple tools that are very low tech you can make a hydrometer and actually i learned recently that in the old days do you know do you know this what the old i don't know about it do you know what the old hydrometer was not what an egg well i know and i measure yeah. salt brines with eggs yeah so they would use an egg and so i've never heard of people using it for liquor though yeah no well i mean it's not good for alcohol but it's good for one thing which is measuring the sugar content of the initial initial yeah. thing and they would talk about the the circle that the egg made like whether it was like a half dollar. I mean, it's English, right? So they use pence or whatever. But suffers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. But see, I have a, I'm old school refractometer guy. 100. percent So I just time. discovered that thing. It's amazing. What's nice about it is it just takes like a drop, and you can walk around with juices. One freaking drop. Yeah, it's really. You know, good, I, so. you know what I used to hate? Filling tubes up with stuff and floating. No, no, you're right. You're, no, no. This, uh, you're totally right. So the refractometer is really cool. The, the uh, problem is when you're switching back and forth. People who buy refractometers. Especially if they don't think about it. They don't think about what it's actually measuring. See, everyone is using a hydrometer. They know they're really they're just measuring the density. And so when – But what they, if there's like stuff in there? That's what I don't understand. Well, that's like, the thing. Right? So like you know – what you know, right? If you, Like any kind of – any brew or, or wine calculator, you can know your initial 
your initial gravity and you assume that almost all of that initial extra gravity is due to sugars, right? And then, and then when, it, when it ferments out, you do the calculation, you do bang. But refractometers don't work that way. You know what I mean? Now, there are people that have calculated final gravity. So, by the way, uh, there's, there's you know, your initial or, you know, original gravity and then your, uh, what do they call the, the finished one, the... the F, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so you take these two numbers, and the second gravity is really a bullcrap number, right? Mm-hmm. Because let's say it comes out at, you know, one, which zero, 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 which is theoretically the density of water. What that really means is you have some alcohol and some right, sugar because right. the sugar's heavier. down to, and, like, 995. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you want more, yeah, you want more alcohol than, obviously. So, but, but my point being is that people have tables where they know what your initial amount of sugar is, and then by reading the final gravity of it, you can figure it out. The problem is refractometers aren't measured that way. So a ref- refractometer is literally looking and and the, the responses for sugar versus alcohol, I don't know how linear they are over the range you're checking. So literally, you have to have someone who just takes a BRICS, which is a particular scale, right, measuring you know, refraction, because all it's measuring is light bending. And then you have to have someone calibrate the, the, uh, the, final, uh, the final alcohol reading based on a particular uh, um, OG, and that just you just have to pray it's linear in that range. And if it is, you right. can use it. You know what I mean? And then there's there's also some weird relationship between the two that's not linear. No, there's right? not, no. Which you I just have to tabulate. Which is it why, like, tables. I just you know I kind of stick with my thing, and I kind of know. I mean, to be honest, it's the, always good advice to stick with your thing. <laughs> it's, it's and also your tongue is also the, your best weapon, right? I mean, that's the uh, you can taste the sugar at unbelievably tiny amounts, and so at the end of the ferment, I. I, I, the, the hydrometer like gets less and less useful, and then you start tasting it out. You just want to make sure it's not stuck before you take it. Right. So like this guy, right? So this is a sparkling wine. It's not carbonated. This is made like a pet nap. Um, you know, there's still yeast in the bottom. It's, uh, you know, you basically ferment out dry. Then you, you add a little bit of honey or sugar back in, and you continue the fermentation in the bottle. Uh, if I was really smart or I was like some old French guy I'd been doing this for 500 years, like I would just bottle it when I knew it had the right amount of sugar in it, but because I don't have access to either that, like, historical tradition of, like, really knowing that very, you know, when you make the same wine every year, you can kind of just taste it, but uh, for me, I have to go dry and then go back for the secondary. All right, let's, we, uh, we're going to talk about this particular uh, uh, wine in a second. We've got a caller on the air. Is it, okay. a, is it a mead-related caller? What do we got? What kind of questions we got? Caller, you're on the air. Hi, Dave. Hey. <laughs> Hello. Is this my sister? Hello. Hi. Oh, hi, Nick. Yeah, I thought I thought you got. It. No. Yeah. No. Hey, you're on the air. So this is going to be a dump meal. We're taking a, a mead <laughs> could you, break. Could you tell me what a dump and your listeners, I guess, what your dump meal is? And and I hope it's something not what I'm thinking it is. Uh, well, it all as I like to say, all meals end up as dump meals. <laughs> but the uh, so uh, so Nastasi, you want to describe the dump meal? You want Natty to describe the dump meal? It's well, Natty, describe what you've been making. Okay, so I did um, four different meals with a crock pot, and I basically just threw a bunch of stuff in that the recipe told me to. It's basically go to the local Circle K, buy some stuff, and dump it into a crock pot, walk away from it, come back and eat it. That's what dump. This this sounds like the the winemaking class I want to teach where we go to the dollar store and we come back and we make alcohol out of that stuff you just dump i want to dump it in a thing come back in two months kind of say stay away from dollar store bacon <laughs> just stay away from dollar store bacon especially in your wines but yeah dollar dollar store mead making i think yeah. it, I, I would pay for that i mean a dollar <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just messing with you. so natty what, what have you been working on what, what what dump meals have you tried 
Um, so I did an oatmeal, which I left in overnight, and that turned out great in the morning. I did ginger teriyaki chicken. Okay, how? Okay, t- tell us. First of all, oatmeal in a crock pot. I mean, okay, that's going to work. I mean, that's just going to work. That's oatmeal in a crock pot. Now, talk to me about the chicken. What what cut of chicken did they recommend? Um, they did chicken thighs and chicken legs. Okay, okay, okay. So some props. It wasn't some jerk with uh, boneless, skinless yeah. breasts. Yeah. All right, so it wasn't inherent chicken dust you were making. Then what? Um, and then I had to do like a full can of ginger ale and a full bottle of teriyaki sauce and some other things. Wow, this person likes some sugar there, the full can of ginger ale. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Did, uh, did you have to brown that chicken beforehand? Sorry? Did you brown the chicken beforehand? No, I just put it in there. I just washed it off. Washed it off? That's our mother's favorite trick. You washed off the chicken? Before I put it in the crock pot. With, with, what do you mean you washed it off? You wash your chicken? Well, I just wanted to make sure it was clean. Anyways, then I also did spare ribs. Wait, aren't you whoa, supposed whoa. to wash a chicken? No, you don't wash a chicken. Well, but it's got that like, slimy stuff on it. Well, but then, that's, then that means you purchased a crap chicken. Oh. The, uh, the, uh... <laughs> Like, like, sometimes you can wash off if there's, like, bits of blood and you want to get them up. It's it's not a freaking fish. You know what I'm saying? With, like, or you're ripping the bones out of it. It's a freaking chicken. It's already been dredged through, like, the hell and gone. They've already beaten the crap out of that thing. They put it into, fundamentally, a giant, like, washing machine made of rubber to rip every dang feather off of it. It's been completely eviscerated and sprayed down. Anyway, okay, hold on a second. So, wait, so you... This, these thighs and stuff, they had the skin on. Yes. But you in no way treated the skin in any shape, form, kind. You literally threw this thing in with ginger ale and teriyaki sauce. So the dump meal lady's idea of browning the skin was to dump teriyaki sauce into it. Am I, am I, am I on track here? Natty? What? <laughs> like the, this lady's idea of browning the skin, the lady who wrote Dump Meals, was to add teriyaki sauce. That was in lieu of browning the skin, right? One sec. Hold on. What? Referring to the recipe? <laughs> I don't know. This sounds like it's a nightmare waiting to happen. I mean, um, I don't know. Is there any sort of... Are you back? Yes. Is there any sort of sautéed onion or garlic? Anything? What? Is there any sort of sautéed <laughs> onion or garlic in with this dump chicken? Um, well, there were two different chicken instances, and one of them had onions in it. One? What about this first one with the, with the ginger ale? Um, the, no. So let me get this straight. It's just ginger ale, teriyaki, washed chicken, chicken in a crock pot for like eight hours and nothing else? That's all. Oh, and rice at the bottom. Rice at the bottom. And did you add the rice at the very get-go? Um, yes. So that wasn't overcooked at all then. How was it? Tell me how it was. Was it delicious? Did you enjoy it? Yes, I did. You did? What was the texture of the rice like? It was really fluffy and nice. It was almost like a risotto. Whoa, 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 whoa. Nastasia, are you going to let your sister say that it was almost know. like a risotto? Maybe, An maybe unstirred need, crock maybe pot? Maybe you need to try it, Dave. Maybe listen, listen, well, listen. It's floating in the teriyaki and the ginger ale, right? What, the chicken? No, the rice. The rice is floating. No, the rice is going to sink to the bottom, no, right? I know. Well, it's, okay. And it's in the crock pot. It's like everything that you, you know, okay. What about the other chicken that you made, Natty? The shredded chicken, yeah. that was just with bell pepper and... Um, Wait, uncooked bell pepper? That, that one in the crock pot. First. You throw uncooked bell pepper into, with the skin on into a crock pot, okay? Next. And then I think it was just the chicken breast, boneless. Breast, boneless breast for eight hours. Okay, what liquid did you pour into this? Um, water. 
Water. <laughs> and what else? Nothing else. Wow. How was that? It was good. Oh, and um, I guess like taco seasoning. Taco seasoning. Let me ask you this. Like, when you picked up the chicken, if you allowed it to cool, when you hit it against the table, would it actually, like, friably shatter? Was it, was it like a chicken leather, or did it... Like, was the chicken in any sense still juicy at all in any way, shape, kind, format? Or did you, have, you had to sh- did you shred it? I, yeah, it was easily shreddable. Easy, yeah, yeah, she sent I me bet. photos. It looked really good. It looked juicy. And then you put it in a yeah. taco or what? Then you put it in a taco, right? A tortilla? Yeah. 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 Can't go wrong. Well, why would you ever use breast meat for that? Basically what you're saying, it's just the like... The only thing that didn't work were the spare ribs that I had to do. Oh, my God. Tell me how the spare ribs... Tell me about the spare ribs. Well, Give she wanted me to put a whole can of beer in. Wait, wait, wait. Say what? Normal can of what? A whole can she, of beer. whole can of beer. What beer did you choose? What? What beer did you choose? I did, like, an IPA, but it oh, smelled bad, so I didn't want to do it. And then... Um, I think it was like a whole whole bottle of barbecue sauce too, and it just looked really gross, so I didn't want to do it. But you did it anyway, or you didn't taste it? I mean, like I didn't even cook it; it just smelled nauseating. Wait, how old? Did, how how old is your sister? Twenty-two. See, this is the problem with Instagram. They want food to look good. It doesn't no, always like, look like good. Looked, soups, soups like sometimes don't look good. Smell bad. Uh, well, you know, but the thing is, is that you didn't give the alcohol time to cook off. Maybe beer beer based. Beer-based braises, like for instance, the famous like Guinness uh, beef that they uh, that the Irish folk make, is good, but not at the get-go. You have to, yeah, that actually does have to cook uh, quite a long time. But the lack, the lack of browning disturbs me. <laughs> like in these recipes, it's like I don't know. Anyway, so listen, are you going to continue? You going to make some more dump meal? Uh, you going to make some more dump meal uh, for us? Are you going to continue to be our dump meal correspondent? Yes. All right. <laughs> That enthusiasm. People call, people call in your questions for uh, like you know eventually yeah. writing your questions for Natty and her and her dump meals. Yeah. Anything else to add about these dump meals? It really says don't brown these freaking things before you throw them into the freaking crock pot for real. What about the onions you threw into this other thing? Did it brown the freaking onions beforehand? She's gone. Oh, she's gone. She's gone. She couldn't take the abuse. <laughs> she couldn't take the abuse. She's not used to it like like you are, Nastasia. I've answered this browning question three times. I just can't believe it. <laughs> Done. Done. Who does that? Chat room says no browning in dump meals. No browning in dump meals. That's cheating, right? I think there's a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's talk about, uh, okay, name this wine that we just drank that you're almost sold out of anyway. Can I have a little more of that stuff? So yeah, good. yeah. I mean, we've got three more to go through. So, so Nastasia, uh, I'm sure you, you, can you like this, right? Like you can this, keep yeah. this. Really? Yeah. And Nastasia hates almost everything, and I guarantee you know, I know why you like it, because it's got some of the same notes that orange wine has in it, right? It's got uh, well, can, let me tell you something else. You, you originally asked the question, I actually did a lecture about this called Why You Don't Drink Mead, right? Okay. And, you know, the initial question is like, uh, mead is the fastest growing uh, product. A segment of the alcohol market, right? So that's great for our investors and us. You know, we're like, here we go, let's do it, right? But uh, when we look for allies, and it's very different than the uh, craft beer movement, which I think you know kind of came up together because there's so much good craft beer that people want to make. Um, and there's definitely good mead makers out there, and I can recommend some. But uh, part of it is the branding. You know, my I operated like a kind of a club for about five or six years. That was most of my mead went to people who signed up on an email list. So I got to meet them. I knew who them, who they were. Uh, one of the nice things about this product is that it's got a really nice gender balance. 
uh, men and women tend to like it equally. Which drinkers is and makers or just drinkers? Drinkers. drinkers. Um, it's got a broad age range. It's got a good gender balance, which isn't necessarily true for beer and hard liquor, right? Um, and one of the problems is is that the the uh, the branding for a lot of mead is like based on this like really inaccurate mythical Viking axes, the super macho stuff, super hetero, super macho. And I think it really turns off a lot of women who would normally actually like the product. Um, so I, I think that would be the third, the third kind of leg of the stool of like not, how not to make mead. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on the Upper East Side of Manhattan? Um, I've been there. Have you have you like have you ever like so like no offense Upper East oh, wait, Side oh, yeah, people? Oh yeah, we went. We both went to school up there. Actually, oh no, right? oh, no, I Upper. I was on the Upper West, West Side. So, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, but like the thing about the Upper, I, like no offense, I'm going to say so it's, gonna, it's like a generalization. But a lot of people in the Upper East Side is like, honey, so sweet. Honey, so Fair enough. sweet. Right. So right. I, I don't want anything with honey. It's sweet. You know, you, you, how many that, times at events have you heard people say stuff like that to you, Mister? Sugar, but not honey. Sh- sugar yeah, and honey. No, but no, you're right. You, no, you're right. Look. Grape wine is made from sweet grapes. Rice wine is made from sweet rice. Honey wine is made from... All alcohol starts out sweet. Bingo. And so, the, you know, our biggest challenge is just education. You know, we just have to... That's why we make dry, dry wines. We tell people, listen, this, this isn't going to be sweet. It's one of the first things we, we talk about. It's why we named the tasting room honeys, because we want to, like, bring... We didn't want to hide that. We want to be forward about that. It's like, this is a honey-based alcohol... But honey has a lot going for it that's not sugar. You know, it's got this great bouquet. It has all this different variability. Um, so try this one. This is this is like what you know, for lack of a better word, the straight white meat, right? You know, <laughs> like we're trying to work talk about. You know, part of what's exciting about this is uh, we get to create the vocabulary for this product class, right? You know, we're trying to position ourselves as making the best meat in the country. So that gives us a position to say like. What is it? How do we talk about it? What does it look like? What kind of glasses do you put it in? All that stuff. It's really exciting. Big space. Big, big open space. Um, what I have not been able to do is figure out what, how to talk about the mead that we make that's just the honey wine. Because I don't want to say it's straight because that's got issues. And I don't want to definitely don't want to call it white, right? Because it's, you know, compared to what? Uh, so, but this is, and I don't want to say it's plain because it's not. Uh, Be like, look, this is the Chardonnay of uh, meats. This is the Chardonnay of meats. <laughs> I think that's all I gotta say to people. Listen, who is that, Anastasia? What do you gonna drink? Chardy ups. <laughs> remember, remember that? Like, this is like that was the short thing. Okay, so this isn't the bottle. We haven't uh, bought. This is on draft right now at the at, at Honey's. Uh, so we haven't bottled it yet. I'm gonna go upstate and bottle it like in about a week. Um, but this is basically what we're serving on draft. Right, before we before we taste this, we didn't talk. What's the what's the one with the bubbles called? Okay, Cinec? so the bubble is the bubble one is basically it's a sparkling honey wine with apple, cranberry, cherry. These are tart cherries from mm-hmm. upstate. A mm-hmm. little and bit then, though, right? Only a little, I hope. It's fermented. Little, yeah, okay. A little bit, and then uh, uh, sumac and rose hips. Rose hips. Rose hips are the bomb. Yeah, rose hips are great. So, and then sometimes I alternate the sumac with the hibiscus, which uh, depending on what's in season and whether or not I'm at having issues with sumac. And what do you call that one? That's called night eyes. So it's got a, it's got a, like, it's like, it's almost got a little bit of that, like not, o- not over, but it's got a little bit of that kind of orange winey flavor, even though it's not like, yeah, because oxidized. look, this is, this is, these are wild yeast. I make this stuff in barrels. It's funky. It's quite nice. Yeah. yeah so this, dry. you're going to taste it more. And what's the, what's the ABV on this sucker? Roughly? What, what are we? Oh, pretty much across the board. I shoot for about 12, 12 minutes. Good, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Why would, why do people want to make these things that require turbos? And it's a, it's a like, macho thing. I really think it's like how, it's like, let's increase the alcohol I mean, I don't know. The aroma know. is intensely honey on this, right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's you know, 
it's honey's delicate, right? So you start mixing fruits and stuff, you're going to lose a lot of that, um, a lot of the more subtle features. Uh, what I like about this is we we ferment this in used red oak, re, used oak, which has like a little bit of a red wine like left over in the wood. So that comes out, gives it a little body and a little color. Oh, I like that. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, it's, it's good. And this, you're calling this one straight white? No, no, yeah, no, that's no, 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 we call that not. We call that not. But it's not really not a Not like the zero? N-O-U-G-H-T. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's our like zero. Have you seen this advertising campaign for, it's called like white I think it's like the most offensive thing and because like they're printing the F-bombs on the street on paper but it's called White Girl Rose. It's like oh, everything's yeah. offensive about that. Oh, what is yeah. it? No, it's, it's bad. It's offensive marketing, is it not? It's by that guy, that terrible man. What terrible man? The fat Jewish. <laughs> you mean my dad? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, who is it? That's the guy's name? Yeah. He well, calls himself. That's what he's called, yeah. the fat Jew. Yeah. yeah, the fat Jew, sorry. And he has a he makes a product called White Girl. I'm sure he's yes. gonna make a billion dollars. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I like you, this. Th- th- thank you. Well, I, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug our spot again because we just opened. Uh, we need some folks to come down there and uh, check this stuff it? out. It's at 93 Scott Avenue. Uh, you can go to EnlightenmentWines.com. This address is on there, and we're open every day. But Monday. what stop is it? Off Jefferson L. You can walk. It's like you got a cross flushing, and it's nice. You know, it's a great after. Don't go to that place. hospital. No offense if you're a doctor <laughs> in that hospital, but oh my god, you're in that hospital on flushing. Yeah, yeah, but we're not that close to that. Oh right. no, yeah, no, no, that's the other direction. No, no, we're right down here. You could walk from you could walk from Roberta's. I had an interesting ER visit there once. I've heard I've heard crazy stories. The doctor actually was good, but the ER itself was like. Yeah. Well, yeah. welcome to America. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so I want to make sure you try this because there's just a little bit left. Um, this is a Floralia, and I want just to give you the sense of a progression. So that's basically like our natural honey wine. What's your bottle price in this, by the way? Will be uh, rough. We do 25 on a, pretty much across the board unless it's sparkling or we're just trying to have like a commemorative bottle. So, mm-hmm. you know, if it's expensive, I put it in a smaller bottle. That's the deal. Yeah. Uh, but I make sure they're all the same height. so all right so this one is called floralia now this is what you do now this is actually a lot of people think the thing you just had is a classic mead like i want a real mead i heard you wanted a real mead right that's all i know i I never listened to your show i just i I mean i don't know i I, I would i didn't know about it right Uh, fair fair plus we're uh, usually very technical yeah that's the internet right so uh but a guy came into the bar and he's like oh yeah i was just listening to dave arnold's show and he's like he just wants a real mead and I was like, oh, well, you should tell them we're doing this down the street. I mean, you can, it's really close. And I think that people would expect that a real mead, in quotes, would be this kind of like uh, single variety honey, right? Because that's a sort of grape wine mentality, right? Like the whole thing about grape wine is uh, a single grape from a specific location and time who is like carried through to its sort of essence. Um, that doesn't really line up with honey wine making exactly because I would, I really feel like there is a big difference between, say, a wildflower honey and, like, a apple blossom honey, right? They're, they're different. And when you ferment them out, they'll be di- they will be different. What about nasty honeys, like buckwheat? Yeah, sure. It'll be subtle. But I didn't want to... But in the real world, in the history of mead making, let's say, and I, I don't really believe in any kind of real authenticity around any of this, because it's, it's, the whole thing's very sort of abstract and vague. But what one thing is for sure, it's that the idea that someone would make a mead and it would just be honey is probably unlikely. Uh, it doesn't have enough tannin. Uh, even the one that you just had is, um, 
It's made in oak, right? That's where you get so that wood. It, I'm yeah, cheating. Yeah. You got to cheat. It's somewhere you got to cheat. What's more likely is they would have made something like this, which is uh, a mead with herbs in it. So there's all kinds of horrible Latin names that I'm not going to even mention, and I can't pronounce. Like methic. Yeah, exactly. They're gone. Like I'm taking them out of the book. That all sounds like Society for Creative Anachronism stuff. Right. Exactly. And again, it's another one of those things that hurts. Do you do me. that? Do you have like no. a Harlequin outfit or no, like cod no. piece somewhere? No, it's, it's gone. Like it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. I mean, like I burned that last week. <laughs> I mean, the, the 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 real the real issue. I like cod pieces. Is, though. is like, you know, the people who, you know, there's a public perception around me that it's a, it's white and it's European and it comes from Vikings and all this kind of stuff. But the truth is, is like the people who drink mead are Africans and Indians and Chinese. Me I mean, currently, yeah, yeah, and and have done for the you know. The, have you, have you I, gone to Ethiopia to actually drink their stuff? I mm-hmm. haven't. Um, we're trying to grow uh, Gesho right now, which is the herb that re- is required for Tesh, and I can't um, get it to start. So, uh, is there a decent Ethiopian one here in the U.S. No, or no? Not that I've had. Uh, they serve. I know the guy. For example, there's an Ethiopian restaurant in Bushwick that's fantastic. Um, they have a honey wine. I don't love it. It doesn't have Gesho in it. Um, so you have to, if you're going to have an Ethiopian honey wine, it needs to have this herb in it, or else you're just getting like a kind of another processed mead that says it's made in a traditional Ethiopian style, but it needs the herb. Right. And if the herb's in there, it's going to got to be on the label. Uh, Aren't there a bunch of strange, like uh, more Southern African meads as well, or no? There are a zillion kinds of meads out there, and there are a zillion other things that people do with it. They distill it. I mean, Jamaica has a whole distilled honey wine culture that's super interesting. China, I mean, it's a uh, in China, you know, also there's a huge – a lot of my influence right now is I'm reading a lot of kind of uh, Asian uh, herb books because there they use wine, uh, like, to preserve the herbs in a way that we don't do in the European culture so much. So, like, chrysanthemum wine or chamomile chamomile chrysanthemum wine. Um, right. We, our herb wines are mainly – they've been taken out of the wine category, like vermouth. So going back into well, sipping situations. Well, you know, this, so. thing, this thing happened uh, when they invented the FDA, which is that they – they made it basically illegal to have any medical claims on any kind of alcohol, right? So, ironically, the the like the Los Angeles winery that survived through prohibition did so by making medicinal products, and then people just drink them to get drunk. But like, I make an elderberry wine. Elderberry is like incredible immune-supporting antiviral thing, and it will work if you drink the wine. But I'm not allowed to say that. I can't put it on the label. I can't even talk about it. Um, but so, for example, this one, just to get back, this is, I think, something more like a mead that you would have had uh, in in the old days. So this is... And it's called what? Floralia. Um, and it's, it's just an herbal mead. You could pick different herbs. This is uh, forage, juniper, lavender, and marjoram. Oh, it's um, la- lavender's coming out, huh? Hey, yeah. Mar- we had someone, I had someone on Twitter who was like, marjoram. And they were like, it's useless. Marjoram's delicious. Fresh marjoram. Yeah. Can't use it. Dry. Why would you dry it? I don't know. People dry it, you know. Uh, so this is... You can drink this straight, uh, but it's a great cocktail base. So, you know, this, like the instead of, it, Like, instead of a... So, you would use this in place of, like, a Dolan Blanc or in place of, like, a, a Koki Americano or something like this? Well, I, I sh- this is where I should probably introduce my partner, Arlie Marks, who I think he's met you. He said he did a stage with you at some point. But uh, he's running the cocktail program in the front of the house. So, he, he takes some of these things and then we'll make uh, these kind of wonderful cocktails. This... Uh, I forgot what he's doing, like a flip with this right now, which I, he had to teach me what that was. But it, it drinks, it drinks like, um, it's like a honey vermouth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, it's a fair like place to place it. Vermouth tends to be a little bit more alcoholic. Um, I'm starting to make things more specifically for cocktails because the, there's so much opportunity to like do all this weird stuff, right? 
Uh, and so typically we'll take something like this or the black currant wine, which is, I think, the last one here, which you can try, uh, and we'll serve them straight, like in a you know small pour or over their ice or something. Or you can, like this one, makes a really beautiful Negroni uh, if you want to like do a, a named kind of classic. Uh, and that's what we've been making down there. And then we also have this really nice herb program for the roof that's uh, like a lot of the exotic herbs that I'm experimenting with for the meads because we really have to broaden our appeal. Uh, we use in the cocktails too, so that since they're around. So like there's a lemon mint marjoram that I'm really, not a, a marigold, sorry, lemon mint marigold that like they'll use for a... What are your opera. thoughts on herbs that are like now considered toxic in large quantities but like people still use them in the day like rue or what's tansies and all these other things? Yeah, elderberry. Uh, you know, it's the, the the toxic is such a like difficult, unspecific word. You know, like, it's like al- our relationship, right, Seth? You know, you know what's you know it's toxic. <laughs> Alcohol is toxic. You know, and you drink that all the time. I I think a lot of these herbs, um, you know, you'd have to use huge amounts of them uh, before you got ill. In many cases, if you heat them, the toxins go away. It's a little tricky with the alcohol because I have to get federal uh, permission, basically, for everything that I use. So there's a list of generally recognized as safe, right? Yeah. yeah. But that list itself include, was created in the 40s and is horrible. Like, it's, like, you can put pennyroyal. Pennyroyal is an abortive and really, like, very toxic, right? You know, used by herbalists very carefully. Fantastic name. Pennyroyal. Yeah. You can pour that in there. So, like, that's considered generally recognized safe. Lettuce is not on the list. Spice bush, you can't. Lindera benzoin, not grass. So I don't use it at the bar. Right. So I'm pretty suspicious of that list um, in general. It's not an accurate list. It was made a long time ago. And, for example, something like uh, elderberry, which is on the list in some cases. It's like, it really depends on how you use it, if you're using the stems, the berries, or whatever. There's a really great um, article in the Nordic Food Labs about elderberry where they really try and tease apart the chemistry of that. Yeah, I know those guys. They're good. Yeah. They have a really good actual um, uh, science person, uh, Ariel, doing the, a lot of their a lot of their stuff. Okay, while we're opening this last one, let me yeah. do some shout-outs. Brian Kestenbaum. One second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. I'm going to read. You're going to read what? I'm going to read here. Okay. All right. Uh, where is it? This is from Allison for Brian, right? Uh, unusual request... Uh, my husband Brian is a fan of cooking issues and listens all the time. Turning 40 on July the 14th, and I'm Bastille Day, huh? Why do you got to share it with the French? Why do you got to share your birthday with the French? Makes no sense. And it's not like, and his birthday shifts every year to coincide with the French stuff. No good. No, that's not saying, saying it's no good. Hey, whatever. I'm collecting video slash sound recordings, photos from his favorite places and people around the world. Any chance they may be able to give him a shout out on the show? Uh, or send some sound recording that I can add to the collection. Just do it. <laughs> what should I say? It's turning 40. Happy 40th birthday, Brian! From Cooking Issues Crew! And Jackie Molecules would say hi if he was here, but he's off on tour in Europe thinking about your 40th birthday. What do you say, Nastasia? Happy birthday. There you go. Happy birthday, Brian. Wait, how many people listen to this show? Tons. I don't know. A lot. Are they are they all over the place? Yeah. Everywhere. Wow. All around That's the world. That's so exciting. Everywhere. Hi everyone. Everywhere. Hello uh, the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so let's get back to this. The rest of the questions that I would have asked I'll have to do I'll have to do well, You can just time. do them like really fast. No, no, no I, I, I wish never, I can't. I can't like I can't, I can't I never. Yeah. Anyway, but let's let's taste this last okay, one. This last one. Um, right. so this is the uh, 
Saint Crimson, which is just a this is a kind of a classic black currant meat, which has been made for a long time. That, now, that is a kind of classic, but now, I don't know how much. Does it drink like a like a? Let me tell. Okay. Right, it just tastes. So that is also drier than I thought it was going to. They're be. all dry. Yeah, there's no sugar. You know, I don't like using sulfites and filtering and all that stuff. So, uh, the really the only way to bottle something and not use them is to just get rid of all the sugar. It's, I could dope this with some gin and carbonate the hell out of it. Yeah, it'd be very good. There's a, there's a lot that you can do with this. It's a it's a great thing. Although, uh, Jim from PDT was telling me because when I made this for him a few years ago, I was like, he's going to love this. It's going to be great for a cocktail. But I think you can get a black currant flavor out of the distilled version at a cheaper price if you just want that. But this looks nicer. Also, this has that um, you know everyone's into that changing color sweet pea thing these days. But this really. It, Butterfly pea? Yeah, and this this in the, the blue one. People, yeah. Hey man, we've been on that. We've been on that pregame train. Woo woo. Right, right. So those those uh. Who's those, using that in cocktails? I don't know. There's an article Everyone. in the paper again. Which article? Which paper? I don't know. I don't read. Do they still make papers? The big one. <laughs> yeah. Times. Probably. Uh, well, anyway, what's fun about this and the elderberries? They you know what? You know what the butterfly pea is actually called? You know what? Butterfly is the u- euphemism Uh-oh. for female parts. Oh yeah, the scientific name for that uh, uh, plant is a uh, is a uh, lady vulvus, body part. That's not that's Clitoria. not a yeah, that's not a bad Clitoria. word. Not a bad word. <laughs> I know, but but, but why like then? Why call it butterfly? Why call no, it butterfly? No, no, I'm saying why can't you say it? Because I don't know exactly how it's spelled in Latin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Methiglium. Um, yeah. Anyway, you can change the color of this too. It's it's also super um, acid base sensitive, so it'll go blue or red. Yeah, yeah but the problem is I'm always going to keep it acid in a cocktail. Like someone who serves you a basic cocktail should get beaten about the head. I'll tell you this. If you want to stabilize bluer colors in cocktails, do a pre-shake before you add the acid with uh, egg white, which is basic. And I found that for some reason, even when you shift the cocktail acidic afterwards, you'll maintain more of the bluer side of mm. anthocyanins than you would. What about like a gelatin? Would that is that also basic enough? No, no. No. Because I want to get this in one of those frosty machines. But you want it to be on the bluer side, not less on the red side? You know, I just like them. I just, I just like that it changes colors. You know, it just, I just, it's just cute, you know? I mean, the classic thing to do that is, doesn't taste so, so bueno. So I used to do this uh, uh, with the butterfly tea. We were going to do a, an absinthe service where we were going to do like a, um, a pandan water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we were going to keep that one neutral, so be on the blue side, and then drop it into uh, acidulated uh, alcohol, and then it would go red as it hits the oh, alcohol, yeah. right? In a drip, in an absinthe drip. Turns out that, A, it didn't have any flavor, so at least the one I had. So I was like, I can't just do a visual gimmick. This is crap. It's not what I'm about. And two, bars are dark. Right. And so, yeah. like, this is more of a cafe, brunch timey, outside thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I've done the color change. You know what's really stable with those colors is uh, whipped cream. So, like, it, mm-hmm. like, I've done really, really, with a lot of the flower, dark, dark blue whipped creams that are, like, those things I heavily stabilize them with. Um, actually, the flower itself will stabilize it because it's got, like, if you just blend the flower and don't get rid of all the solids, it's got enough kind of solidity there. But you could also do, like, an agar fluid gel or something to get it to um, oh, get it to go. Um, 
Huh. So I didn't get to any of my normal nope. like tech-related questions. But nope. I feel I had one. I had someone ask me some interesting questions about spoilage in sous vide bags. There's also a question on flavors melding together, which would have been good. But I'm going to try to get Harold McGee to write in, uh, call in on that. He's still in Spain being Harold McGee in Spain because he's the master. He's been working on that for, you know. Oh, well, I have book. a question for him. All right. What's your question? I don't know why, but every winemaker will guarantee tell you this, that when you take the wine out of the, the barrel and you put it in the bottle, it tastes like shit for, like, however long it feels like doing that, for, like, at least two or three weeks, even if it tasted good in the barrel, and then it'll come back. Huh. And it, it's like it's getting used to the new container. It, like you know absor- I mean? absorbing whatever oxygen got no, hit in the eulage? I don't know. I have no, it makes no sense to me. By the way, so, uh, before I go, questions for people. So, like, uh, so what's your average fermentation time? Uh, it's temperature dependent. And, yeah, sure, yeah, but like, but like, what's the, the short, everything you're long? drinking here is about a year. If I want to be a jerk about it, I it, could probably push it to six months. That's for like, but like, is there? Do you? Start is is it like? Is it like a primary secondary situation? Do you have to rack off the? Laser? I rack. Yeah, I mean, it's just like making wine. You you just sit it. It does its thing. You, you rack it if you feel like racking it. So it's closer to wine than to beer. It's almost 100. percent You know just what like ferments really freaking quickly? Like beer speeds, orange juice. Yeah, but doesn't I can make this ferment quickly? I just I mean, and it still taste good. good. No, yeah, yeah no, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Orange juice, yeah. like on a fat. I don't know why, but it's just like I don't pitch. I don't do a hard pitch. I'm yeah. keeping it at like fifty five. But are you 60. putting sugar in it? I take it to. Well, I want the alcohol. I'm, I'm take so sugar. No, but I mean, do you add additional sugar in the beginning? Yeah, yeah. So like, oh, okay. uh, actually, the the first batch. I'm on my second batch. The first batch, I did white sugar to get it to about fifteen point five bricks because I wanted about eight percent alcohol. Okay. And so like, orange juice by itself would be. Like six, uh, yeah, yeah, because it's like eleven point eight percent sugar, and uh, and it just wasn't going to be stable enough for me, mm-hmm. and uh, and so anyway, so I wanted it closer to eight percent, so I added enough to get it up to fifteen uh, bricks, uh, and this next batch I did, and it fermented out. It did its primary in like a week. But what temperature? In a wine cooler, fifty-five. Oh, cold. Yeah, wow, that's intense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I started it at set at seventy on the counter until it started going. You're doing and car- I, and car- I, carboy. Uh, yeah, and it was oxygen starved. I put I put an airlock on it from the get go, like not yeah. even open, like, and then I threw it in the in a wine cooler, and it still fi- finished. It was monster fast. Yeah. I don't know why, and I I was pitching at the normal pitch rates. You know what I mean? Uh, do you know what kind of yeast you were using? I mean, you would some hate it. Yeast yeah, yeah, same thing. I, I use, I, use I, I don't always use natural yeast. Yeah. But, um, but it's yeah. relatively neutral. The yeast I was using is relatively neutral. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I did honey this time to take it up to fifteen, though. Yeah, instead. that's this better. Next batch. It definitely yeah, one minute. Better. Yeah. What? One minute. We got a minute. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Okay, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna invite everybody to come by. Uh, if you come by and I'm there, I'll give you guys a tour, uh, and I'd love to see you down there sometime. Really nice. All right. Well, Raphael from Enlightenment uh, Wines, and give him the address again. Uh, our tasting room is called Honey's, and it's at 93 Scott Avenue. It's on the other side of Flushing from the L train. Opens at five, right? Yeah, five tonight and until nighttime. We're open late. All right. Well, now I can say that. And I, I we have pictures. Can I? Wait. Oh, and I would like a, a few more Instagram followers, frankly. I yeah. think I have a very nice Instagram. All right. Uh, also, uh, NY Mazer? No, no, Enlightenment Wines. Enlightenment Wines. All right, Enlightenment Wines. I can now say that I've had mead that I enjoy. Anastasia? Same. Same. Oh, thank you. All right, very good. Thanks for coming on. Cooking Issues. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.